there's a sleeping giant in the Australian grains industry. You may not notice it walking through the paddock, or perhaps it's not impacting you right now. But at this rate, it'll be the next generation of farmers that'll be left dealing with the consequences. It's insecticide resistance, and it's the alarming rate at which invertebrate pests are evolving this resistance that has the ag science community increasingly concerned for the future. The first case was in the US in 1914, and by the mid-1940s it had bumped to 11 cases, and today there are more than 580 cases. And because of this, there's an increasing call to switch to alternative cultural and biological control options to manage pests in cropping systems, to keep chemical control as a last resort. This approach is termed as an Integrated Pest Management Strategy, or IPM. But we're beginning to realise there's a strong social dynamic at play when it comes to navigating and adopting the control options that IPM advocates for. I'm Hilary Sims, and in this podcast, we'll delve into the important research that's been done to help understand this social dynamic, as well as the current barriers to IPM adoption and the opportunities for positive and sustainable long-term change. Kelly Angel is the Senior Manager for Operations at Birchip Cropping Group and is an expert on this topic. She says that our insecticide resistance trajectory is roughly 10 to 15 years behind what's currently playing out with herbicides. So with the things that we've seen in herbicides and are dealing with in a a wide scale now is probably what we can expect to see with insecticides going forward as well. The worst thing about that is our options are more limited. We don't have as many products available that we can use. Here in Australia and indeed around the world, we've developed an ongoing reliance on a limited range of chemical control methods particularly cheap broad-spectrum chemistries. Because broad-spectrum chemistries for the majority of pests still work, that is why it's not an issue on farm. It's easy to manage. But if we see bigger resistance issues, suddenly the problem is bigger and uh, the challenge changes and the focus will change. So if we had weed management all sorted out, I'm sure pest management would have a bigger part to play but weeds still causes headaches and pests are still sometimes a seasonal pest Uh, some years you might not get them sometimes you get them every year so they're quite volatile in the way that we have to respond to them so they're not seen as a ongoing every season every decision needs to rotate around that particular risk. So it sounds like if we keep going down this path that the decision might be made for us, only there'll be fewer chemical options available. That's exactly right. We're, we're seeing that play out in three of the key pests in the southern region and further in further pests in the northern region. So red-legged earth mite, we're starting to see quite an increase in resistance, which largely was concentrated to the western region um, up until the last few years, but now we're starting to see an increase in that resistance um, within the the eastern states. Um, Green peach aphid and diamondback moth have been problematic for a while, but again, being a highly migratory pest, it's not something we deal with every year. And so it's not something that is probably ranked as highly as a ryegrass weed pressure that is in the same paddock year on year. And if you don't get on top of it, it blows out very quickly. 
Kelly is leading a GRDC investment to help address this important issue. The project's an industry collaboration to improve the messaging around insecticide resistance and good insecticide use stewardship. Key to its success are two IPM social dynamic activities on the motivators and values of Australian growers. Bruce Howie from SQL Agri-Telligence led these studies. Well, I think it's the underlying uh, values that people have that drive the decisions that they ultimately make. Uh, we all make decisions based on our own set of personal beliefs and values and uh, unless ideas are aligned with those values and those beliefs that we have, then we can sometimes be a bit reluctant to adopt those new ideas or even pay attention to those ideas. Bruce is an industry expert on technology adoption. He helps organisations understand what drives farmers to embrace new technology or farming practices. I've been involved with uh, the research side of agriculture for a long time and it's not unusual for researchers to be quite excited about some new research. They've got great ideas, they've got great concepts, they've done tremendous trials that show good data and yet when they go out there to the, uh, the farm uh, side of the business it's not always readily adopted and it's frustrating for researchers and scientists. It's frustrating for extension practitioners because there's that sort of sense that the data speaks for itself, the information is there. Why isn't obvious that you just undertake that activity and uh, implement those new practices? So I guess I was trying to understand why it is that it takes time sometimes for those ideas to take hold. And, and a lot of it comes down to understanding what the motivators are that uh, will stimulate growers to uptake new technology. And that comes back to values. It comes back to the, the things that they hold dear to themselves, their beliefs and the, the things that are important in their world. And unless the new technology can really align with that, it's very difficult for them to take on those new concepts. I asked Bruce where he reckons this difficulty fits in, in terms of the research and communication around IPM. Well, I, th I think one of the, um, the, the difficulties that researchers have with the sort of concepts that I've been exploring is that quite often that connection with values is triggered through some sort of emotional hook and scientists don't feel comfortable with the use of emotion in communicating science. They kind of see that as, a, an, as enemy territory, if you like, um, because it, it, it tends to make them feel uncomfortable that, um, that people are making decisions based on, uh, on their feelings rather than making decisions based on good, solid data. So when that comes down to IPM, uh, it, it's, it's difficult because um, IPM is, um, is, is a topic that's not so easily researched, if you like, in terms of getting clear-cut data. It's a very complex area and, uh, and the, that complexity makes it even more difficult for people to adopt those ideas that are put forward. So it becomes even more important that people have uh, a deeper commitment to the concept of IPM. Rather than just relying on the data, they have a, a sense of commitment based on their values. We'll come back to these values in a moment. 
But first, it's worth quickly addressing some of these complexities around IPM. Talking to a lot of advisors and growers, one of the biggest identified challenges to adopting IPM, particularly with in-season pests, all focuses around logistics. Through her role at Birdship Cropping Group, Kelly has first-hand experience with the challenges that growers contend with when it comes to IPM. Farming operations are getting bigger, um, which means that timeliness of operations can be challenged. And asking people to do things in little bits based on a pressure um, can mean more time in the tractor, more time going across fields and doesn't really sit um, completely within an IPM framework. And that's where the insurance sprays kind of end up playing out. We're time poor, we've got lots to do, let's just get it done because we're going over it and we've used a spray that we may or may not have needed but we're comfortable for the next few weeks that we've done something and it's not going to get out of hand. Kelly's also quick to point out that other challenges to IPM adoption like increased reliance on seed dressings and the difficulty in judging the risk of a pest outbreak in a variable climate. There's also a range of misconceptions, such as IPM meaning you can't spray. Chemicals still play a critical role in IPM, particularly in situations where we either don't have a biological control or a cultural control that can be implemented to control a pest, but also in situations where market receival standards or those sorts of guidelines don't have much room for movement. So chemicals will still have a critical part to play. But what we want to do is we want to build alongside the chemical components of IPM, we want to also build in the biological and the cultural components. And now back to Bruce and the two research activities on the social dynamics of growers. The first one was called a values mode assessment that was done with the assistance of a company in the United Kingdom called Cultural Dynamics. Here's Bruce to explain more. What we did was uh, we exposed people to 20 survey questions and the answers to those questions were graphed and gave us a sense of the ways in which people respond to new information and new ideas. And there are three groups that uh, we can kind of put people into based on that data. And most of the, uh, the farmers that we collected data from fitted into a group called Pioneers. Pioneers tend to be quite confident with themselves They have a big world picture and they feel that they are capable of making their own decisions and they'll make those decisions based on what they believe to be right and true and correct. Um, And so if, if we have farmers that are responding in that way, then we have to link the idea, in this case of IPM, to the, the, the fact that they are confident about making their own decisions. They don't seek somebody else to make the decisions for them. Uh, they will want to gather information that allows them to make the decisions based on what they believe is right. And so we need to connect those values to the concept of integrated pest management. This insight is particularly useful for extension and communication specialists in understanding how content and resources can be developed to best relate to key grower audiences. The second activity was more hands-on, 
It was a series of focus groups with growers and advisors across the GRDC southern region. The purpose of the focus groups was really to allow farmers to talk freely uh, about two things. The first was to talk about integrated pest management and how that worked for them. And the second thing was for them to just simply talk about why they farm. What is it that motivates them to undertake such a profession, if you like? Um, When we looked at the uh, responses around IPM, uh, because we selected farmers that had an interest in IPM anyway, they were quite happy to talk about what was happening with uh, integrated pest management on their properties. And we had some nice stories and good experiences. But interestingly, we found that that when, uh, when the pressure was on, perhaps time pressures or cost pressures, there was a tendency to, to let go of some of their IPM programs. And one of the important areas was particularly in the area of seed dressing, so where we had a, a simple, easy-to-apply prophylactic type of uh, technology, uh, they were inclined to take that on board uh, rather than really strict stick to integrated pest management strategies. So that was that was kind of interesting feedback and what it kind of indicated to us was that um, while these were farmers that were quite involved with integrated pest management, um, if it had been sold to them on the basis of profits and making money, then the minute those things were challenged, they, their commitment to IPM could waver. Uh, whereas if it had been sold to them on the basis of fundamental values and, and beliefs that they held too strongly, then they would be more likely to hold on to IPM even when times got difficult. And, and I guess that's what came out of the second part of the focus groups when we were asking farmers to simply talk about why they farm and what motivates them to be farmers. And what do these farmers tell you? What sort of things motivate them? The sorts of things that we got out of that was the, the kind of inner, deeper feelings as to, to why they're there. It wasn't about making money. It wasn't about making profits. It wasn't about getting the best yield. It was things like uh, responsibility for land and, and environment. It was uh, things like uh, continuity of farming and, and, and maintaining family traditions. It was about rewards and demonstration of success, the ability to show that they were capable and successful people. And, uh, and another one that came through was that they simply had a passion for agriculture, a desire to produce quality products. And, and those things were the, the, the real drivers behind why people wanted to be farmers and what, where they got their pleasure from, from that farming program. So I guess those, those kind of revealed those deeper motivations, the deeper desires to be involved in farming. And obviously you need money, you need profits, you need an income in order to achieve all of those things. But the fundamental drivers were those passions that we, we, we identified in those discussions. And those drivers, they seem to marry really well into the whole concept of IPM, really. Absolutely, and, and that's where the opportunity lies because if, if IPM 
Rather than being sold on the basis of being able to be profitable and uh, save your time, because in most cases it doesn't, um, you know, if, if it's sold on the basis of uh, you have a strong belief in uh, family succession or you have a strong belief in producing quality products, you have a strong belief in maintaining a, a, a sustainable environment, then IPM fits nicely with that. It's aligned with your values and, and you're much more likely to feel committed to maintain your program of IPM because it's what you believe in. And, uh, and, and so that's, that's where we were trying to go with this project to say, well, what are the real drivers and can we link integrated pest management to those drivers to make it a more adoptable technology? So, armed with this insight on grower values and motivators, what opportunities does this present for promoting IPM practices and information? Well, I asked Bruce to share his thoughts. The challenge is to, to make that link between the values and the, um, the technology itself. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about um, emotion. And quite often that link to values is through an emotional hook. And it's, and it's really quite important to understand the place of that, that emotional hook. It is, it is there to link the technology to the, the interests and the values of the, uh, the target audience, to create some inquisitiveness about the concept, to make them sit up and say, well, yeah, that fits with my thinking. I should explore that a little bit. I should find out more about that. And, and so you create that desire to know and once you've created that desire to know, you have the opportunity to then present the data. So let's not set data aside, let's not misunderstand what I'm saying here and, and, and come to the conclusion that data is not important, it is crucial. But it is only going to be explored when it is of relevance to the target audience and that comes through linking the, uh, the, the technology to people's um, values. It sure is a different way of thinking for the industry. And as Kelly explains, it highlights the integral role advisors play in connecting growers with sustainable IPM practices. These days, because farms are so big, the advisor is pretty much the decision maker for inputs in a lot of cases. So I think it's, it's critical that the advisor is up to date on what is the current information and the current guidelines for managing insect pests. Advisors probably also need to be a little more willing to take on some of the risk as well. Um, I realise that they have a reputation to protect. Their job and their longevity of that job is dependent on good advice and um, growers being pleased with the works that they're doing. But that risk-averse approach that they may take to things like pest management means that they're not teasing those boundaries to see what is possible outside of using a chemical application to keep pests in check. That's not across the board. That's certainly not what everyone would be doing and it's very much a generalisation but advisors probably because of the, the capacity that they work in are quite risk averse. Bruce agrees that the role of the advisor is critical. They are the key link between the technology and the, the pharma practice if you like. 
And so it's important uh, for advisors to be able to utilise these techniques and to be comfortable in utilising these techniques. And, and to do that, uh, they need to recognise that the, the sorts of drivers that we talked about amongst farmers are, are real and that they are really the fundamental things by which people make decisions. So those things that we mentioned about you know, environment, family tradition and quality products and so on, if we talk to farmers about integrated pest management in that context, in the context of those things, if we, if we simply have an open discussion about the relationship between integrated pest management and those sorts of values, then it allows the, uh, the advisor to explore how integrated pest management might be applied on a particular property in the context of those values. And, and I think it's, it's really helpful then uh, if, uh, if that interest can be stimulated through a discussion related to values like that, for then the, um, the advisor to be well armed with the information that supports the, uh, the, the implementation of the technology. The information that's come from research, uh, the information that may have come from relevant case studies where it's been demonstrated to work in certain circumstances, be armed with the data, be armed with the case studies and be able to respond to those questions and fulfil the interest that's been generated. If our advisors can utilise those sorts of tools, they're much more likely to see farmers make a genuine commitment to the technology and be prepared to take it on and implement it on their own programs or within their own programs. So it sounds like they need to have a bit of awareness and connection that uh, it's about having those conversations and coming up with the resources and material to back that up rather than just coming straight out with the brochures and expecting an outcome from that. Exactly, exactly. It needs to be a connection and, and the good advisors out there understand that. They understand that they're not a just a conduit of data, that they are building relationships with their uh, with their clients and um, and they know how to utilise these tools in many industries. Often they will utilise these tools without understanding that that's what they're actually doing. But they are forming relationships, they're getting to the point where they understand the basic drivers, the fundamental drivers that farmers have and they know how to link the technology to that. And, and, and there's one step further that can really raise it to another level and that is when the advisors and the farmers recognise that they actually both share the same value set, then there is a really powerful connection that occurs and, and allows the adoption to become uh, genuinely taken on board and, and a strong commitment made to that adoption. And then when the challenges come down the track, they work together because they know they're, all, they're both trying to work to the same goals and get to the same ends. That was Bruce Howie from Sequel Agritelligence and Kelly Angel from Birchip Cropping Group. What have you taken away from this research? Why not have a think about your own personal drivers and how this impacts the way you farm or advise? An IPM strategy doesn't have to happen all at once. Indeed, small changes in the way you manage pests can have a big impact long term. And there are lots of resources and information available to help make it happen. 
This podcast is part of a wider GRDC investment on supporting the sustainable use of insecticides and IPM strategies for the Southern region. There's also a podcast mini-series exploring the specific IPM approaches for red-legged earth mite, green peach aphid and diamondback moth. Links to these podcasts and more information on this project can be found in the description box of this podcast or online at gidc.com.au. I'm Hilary Sims. Thanks for listening.